from Moby.co, this is the Flagship Pod, a weekly live podcast about the stock market, the economy, and the various market forces that power the world around you. As always, I'm Peter Starr, bringing you this time our first update of the new year, 2023, as we get back into the swing of things. It's been a wild week here in the markets. Volatility is reigning once again as we await the CPI print at the end of next week on Thursday. Um, we're exp- experiencing a lot of like interesting things. We try to figure out exactly what 2023 is going to be. Right now, today, the stock market is rallying on solid labor news. It appears that maybe Jerome Powell can declare victory on labor, however perverse that may be, and we can finally start seeing some genuine relief as demand gets under control and we understand they're going to be potentially reducing rate hikes and getting our economy back on track. To help me like parse through all that and all the other wild news in the stock market, as always, audience, for the first time in 2023, I am joined by Justin Kramer, CEO, co-founder, and chief analyst here at Moby.co. Justin, man, what's good? Did we get any rest over the break or were we too busy building the product? No, uh, a little bit of both. We were able to um, to help build the product, of course, hiring actually a few more people to build the team out. So, you know, 2023 should bring a more comprehensive product, more resource uh, research, more content, and just overall uh, a better experience, whether you're a paying or free member, we're here just to add value. So, you know, really excited what to, we'll have for the next you know, few years and over the next few months, you'll get a taste of that. But uh, yeah, we are now excited to go into 2023. Um, it's going to bring a completely new year relative to what we saw to 2022. So, you know, we have a, a few things we want to discuss today. We're open to questions, topics. We can save some time at the end for those of you listening to the live version on things you want us to address. But other than that, today, we're really going to be covering outlook for this year, sectors, stocks we like. Uh, updates on the electrical vehicle market, updates with Tesla, updates with Rivian, um, and just general outlook, uh, like I said, for the rest of this year, how inflation will shape out uh, amongst a handful of topics. So kind of excited just to, to dive straight into it today. Exactly. And of course, anything we talk about in terms of inflation is going to be completely wiped off of the deck once we get the CPI that drops next Thursday. It's really important to see exactly how costs increased or decreased during December, which is one of those critical months where inflation can kind of go either way. So everything we say now is going to get wiped out within either the next seven to four days, depending on when you're listening to this. So take this with a big old grain of salt. But what we saw today, the reason the stock market is rallying is because we're finally seeing Jerome Powell get the demand side of the equation under control, despite the fact that inflation is probably more on the supply side. Non-farm payrolls came in today. Um, number of jobs are higher than expected about by about 10%. Non-farm payrolls increased by 223,000 223, when the Dow expected um, more on just an even 200K. But the key number here is that actual hourly wage growth only came in at 4.6% when inflation itself is at 7.7, right? The Dow expected that to catch up a little bit more and more around around 5%. And so what the market is seeing is potentially, you know, people with all the layoffs that are happening, people taking, you know, lower paying jobs just to get by. And that's going to be good for the Fed to see, not good for the average consumer, but good for the Fed in terms of finally taking the gas off. Uh, removing their foot from the gas in terms of raising rates. So we saw a lot of like despair at the end of 2022 when uh, the Fed essentially said, no, we're going to keep raising rates until 2023. But Justin, when you see that, is that kind of a good way of thinking about maybe the Fed will pivot a little bit sooner now that we're finally seeing one really key trend line go in the correct direction? Yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a good question. How um, we'll see, you know, to your point, the, the Fed tread in the right direction. What I think we'll see um and we we can get more specific if you like what i think we'll see is inflation start to 
to really peak now, we're not seeing a bunch of huge inflationary increases. Um, it's been relatively flat. But I think the biggest thing to watch for is, you know, are we going to move towards this point of deflation? So prices are up, you know, 7 10% over the last year, but are they going to move anywhere back down? Or are we just now in this elevated period of, uh, of pricing? And that it is what it is. And hopefully there's just not, you know, 7 to 10% increases going forward. So from what we've seen so far from our side, it's more likely that there is not going to be some sort of mass deflationary event. Maybe prices creep down a little bit if we move into a deeper recession. However, prices are like, likely going to stay somewhat flat. And even if they don't, once the Fed stops hiking and starts actually decreasing rates again, we're just going to move back into this long-term nature of an inflationary environment. Uh, the Fed basically since 2008 has been pumping money into the economy and lowering interest rates for the last 30 years almost, if not more. And they've now trapped themselves into this point where the economy only runs heavily on debt, heavily financed on debt, um, and heavily financed uh, by the U.S. government. So that's kind of the trap we've built ourselves into, and I don't know how we get out of that ever. So due to that, I think inflation is always going to be this ongoing issue because the Fed going forward is really going to have to lower rates and the government's going to have to start pumping more money into the economy in order to stimulate it. So over the long run, even if there's some sort of short-term pullback in inflationary assets, we're going to see once again, energy prices start to increase, whether it be this year or next year. And so a lot of commodity-based pricing is going to continue to increase because outside of that, you also have something that a lot of people aren't talking about which is just the supply and demand issues of energy. So right now, oil is obviously been uh, an energy source for us for the last 200 years, if not more. And there's a finite supply that we are trying to switch over to. But even by using renewable sources like solar, like you know, water, like electricity, they still need parts that conduct and then transport electricity well. So in the case of electric vehicles and batteries, cobalt, lithium, copper, a lot of different raw materials are needed. And until we find new elements outside of the periodic table, those elements are also in scarce supply and also very expensive. So if we move from this world in the next you know, 10, 20, 30, 40 years from uh, oil-based engines and oil-based energy to more renewable sources, the thing that power those renewable sources are still going to be running on underlying commodities that are scarce in nature. So the reason I'm saying this is because whether it be oil that is going to be going up in prices and energy, or whether it be renewable sources, we are even if they're more green, we're still going to be running into the issue of there is a finite supply of them, they're expensive to run, and we're always going to be in this inflationary environment, I think, going forward. So stocks that we've liked, like TPL, like other energy plays, renewables, first solar, you know, they're going to continue to do well, even if we've seen so far over the last month slight pullbacks in the energy industry because you know prices are are starting to normalize over the long run i think inflation is really here to stay and you know again maybe we don't see 7 to 10% increases but we're going to continue to see just asset prices move up due to the fact that there is a scarce supply and growing and a growing population and that's not necessarily like an apocalyptic thing either. There's lots of ways we can kind of maintain this economic engine as we have since around 2008. We saw things completely shut down because of global supply chain issues. 
in 2020, but that's something that's addressable. You can get back to micromanufacturing. Obviously, these kinds of changes take a long time, which is why you and I, Justin, have been talking about essentially the same issue for an entire year, just like going, you know, bit by bit, quantum moment by quantum moment through this enormous shift we're seeing in the economy as we move, you know, into uh, a future where we are a little bit cagey about the potential we have for blowing up the entire global supply chain and seeing that entire sort of breakdown of that economic order. Uh, not a breakdown, but like a rearrangement. And so one thing we're really beginning to see already, Justin, is we're seeing a lot of that pain already hit some of our of our favorite stocks. Like EV stocks are just getting pummeled lately. NIO is down 70%, 7%, not 70 Tesla is just getting punched in the face right now. What's going on in the entire EV space? Is this localized to a few companies or is this kind of broad-based in terms of, you know, the market pulling back and wondering if we can sustain these kinds of expenditures? Yeah, no, I mean, it's a good a good question. Electric vehicles is obviously on the forefront of a lot of investors' minds. And just to quickly wrap up that last point before we answer the question on, you know, what's going on with Tesla, Neo, Rivian, you name it. Um, the, the issue for energy, which then relates down to these electric vehicles, is that like if we look back to, you know, 100, 150 years ago, which isn't that long ago in the 1850s, coal, for example, powered 7% of all fuel energy in North America and Europe. And basically before that, obviously, there was just human labor and animals. But by 1900, coal and oil accounted for half of all of the world's energy. And that was only in 1900. But effectively, we keep moving, moving, moving forward with energy-based needs on commodities. So if after two centuries, basically, of this fossil fuel use, if we're going to change to different energy sources, like I said, we need alternative substances. And so what we've seen so far, whether it be in the transition to solar, wind, or battery, we need, like I said, lithium, silver, cobalt, all these different um all these different uh, substances that are not plentiful and they're not really accessible. Um, and like I said, until there's some sort of better substitute that we have not discovered yet, those are the most suitable towards energy sources. So as the energy transition becomes a much more basically complex and challenging issue to solve, this structural supply and inefficiency of these commodities, also including oil, is just really another example of, you know, that this might be something that is not <laughs> as easily solved as we once thought it would. And so how that then translates to your point on Tesla, on these other things, is if you're watching the news right now, or you've seen it over the last year, Tesla has had the ability to source raw materials and the components needed for an electric vehicle significantly better than everyone else. It's still extremely challenging for them to do so. They've even talked about opening up their own mines, but effectively they've verticalized their supply chain so much better than everyone else. So in 2023, to finally get to kind of your original question, what we see happening is Tesla continuing to widen that footprint between them, between Rivian and the rest. And so what we'll see is probably a combination kind of of two things. On one side of the coin, Tesla... You know, NEO, a lot of these stocks in the first half of 2022 or 2023, rather, will probably continue to see some sort of pullback. Um, what we've seen even so far is today, Tesla cutting prices of their cars in China. Um, we've seen other vehicle manufacturers missing their production numbers. All the you know typical things of more luxury-based goods in a recessionary environment that people just aren't buying. It's completely normal. But what these companies will then use the time 
is to focus on the cost side of the equation since revenues are starting to pull back. And again, that's where we see this really big gap start to widen between Tesla and the rest of their competitors. I mean, they're a decade ahead of a lot of these other EV makers who are first now figuring out how to scale, which is, you know, it is extremely difficult. So long story short, first half of 2023 is probably going to be a continued challenge for a lot of electric vehicle makers. But once we start moving into more of a recovery period, again, the Fed stops raising rates, we get more into an accommodative environment, um, and people start buying electric vehicles again. I think Tesla is going to be in an amazing position to capture continued market share and at increased margin. They are the only pure play EV maker in the US, and I believe even globally, who outside, if you factor out the tax credits that you get for producing electric vehicles, are actually have a you know, are making money from a cash flow perspective. So again, long story short, we love Tesla, continue to love it. I know the name has got absolutely pummeled. Elon buying Twitter has not helped at all, but I think over the the first six months, we might see more pain, um, but this is a stock we continue to love over the long run. Exactly. And that's really important to keep in mind, too. The main thing to understand as we kind of roll through this as well is that Tesla still being a pure play EV maker make, gives them a competitive advantage because you can watch, you know, traditional auto manufacturers get into the EV space. But until they start producing vehicles, at the rate that Tesla is, you know, we haven't really seen that competition actually hit because auto manufacturing does not operate at the accelerating scale the market expects Tesla to. That's why you saw Tesla stock tank really hard at the beginning of um, what is it? This this week, actually, this year. That was the very beginning of the year as well, when deliveries came in not at a record, but not as big of a record. The market is the only way to justify Tesla's very spicy valuation is to make sure they keep hitting ever increasing targets. Like uh, either you uh, stay at kind of a lower level and grow from here, or um, you get back to those insane levels once you demonstrate just how. Money, many different flywheels you have for a much simpler thing to manufacture as an EV. Like there's very few moving parts in an electric motor, whereas you have thousands in a combustion engine. I've talked this issue to death though, so I don't want to like keep getting into it. With that in mind, that kind of gets us into trying to understand our 2023 themes, Justin. Like, so I'm look. I've, we've been looking at this a lot lately, and we kind of having this debate internally with like the lower tiers of the analyst team, right? So the main question is, does anyone just go all in on commodities this year? Like, I'm looking at Bitcoin. It's been bouncing around the 1600s of the past month and a half, whereas gold is up 5% in the past three months. Am I selling on my Bitcoin and buying gold? Is, you know, am I, am I going full like recession proof here buying silver and stuff? Or is there still a lot of hope, you know, for like buying the bottom, so to speak, of the equities market instead of like jumping all the way into commodities right now? The commodity question is a, is a really good point because what we saw over the last year is a lot of energy and oil plays do well. Our top stock, again, TPL, has done extremely well. And so when we think about the investing future and like the quantifiable trends, we're seeing now data point to new significant return opportunities and even like new asset classes within commodities that we have historically not invested in. Um, so basically, there are several different business models that are very uniquely structured to benefit from this extended inflationary environment, whether they be commodity scarce based or really just due to kind of the debasement of our currency. And so this year, we're going to start adding additional royalty companies. Um, so again, not to get too into the weeds, but TPL, which is our number one pick. If you haven't seen it, go to our site. It's completely free. It's our number one pick for the last few years and will be going forward. 
TPL effectively owns a bunch of land and gets royalties for activities done on that land. Historically, it's been very heavy in the gas and oil fields, but they also have a lot of water rights. They have rail rights. There's, like I said, a bunch of stuff going on there that if you want to get more details, highly recommend checking it out. But outside of TPL, we're going to start adding more royalty companies in the weeks to come, and we will write these up. Um, but effectively, it gives us exposure to iron, to copper, to a wide range of different electrification and battery metals, and honestly, even fertilizer. Hard word for me to get out there. So why are we doing this? Well, really, aside from diversifying into just like more inflationary-based commodities, like you said, because they look like good plays going forward, these commodities are also actually a lot cheaper than you would think. Um, Again, We think that a lot of investors are completely ignoring this inflationary risk going forward. And so it hasn't been priced into a lot of these stocks. Um, And especially these stocks are kind of off the radar. We just think that they're undervalued for their kind of opportunity. Um, And then also these stocks in particular, very similar to TPL, even though they're doing really well, they're actually not massive market cap companies and they're not really covered. So when you think about the world of like, ETFs. They're not going to be in most ETFs. So like when you have most stocks in an ETF, the way it works is as the value of that ETF goes up, it's driven by the underlying stocks within it. So people are buying up the ETF. The ETF itself buys up more of the assets within it. And so it's really beneficial to be part of the ETF because you get this price movement up. But over the last year, the theme has been that stock picking becomes more important than ever as you know, just putting money in a broad index doesn't work because certain sectors and then even certain stocks within those sectors are doing significantly better than others as we've seen over the last year. So it's a long-winded way of getting to the fact of outside of the fact that we think it's undervalued, we think a lot of these stocks that we're going to start covering are also not in indexes. So they haven't been run up in price like we've seen, like with a lot of stocks over the last 10 years. And so when we think about like the whole process of investing, we think this undervaluation, the fact that they're not in indexes can really be positive factors for a lot of future returns. Um, So when I think about commodities, those raw commodities in an inflationary environment are are no-brainer picks for us that we think 99% of investors not only aren't are missing, just don't even know about. Um, outside of that, we can dive more into crypto because I think you, you touched upon it quickly. Uh, but again, that's going to be a very risk-on trade that trades in par, uh, less so with commodities and more so with uh, the economic environment. But I, I, we're full believers that we're going to see another uh, spike up in crypto. I mean, all of the the kind of trust that we've seen stripped out of the world with FTX, with the just asset prices in general going down in crypto, it just adds more to the conviction that this will bounce because we've seen these sharp pullbacks before. And we also have to keep in mind, audience, that a lot of our audience, people listening, they are kind of relatively new to the crypto space compared to Justin and I. Justin and I were both, you know, pretty heavy into the nerd scene in 2017 when the largest crypto hack of all time helped tank the market. That was was technically the third really big pullback in Bitcoin. This is the fourth, right? So we've been been here before. Nothing's as big as a lot of the hacks that like knocked out Bitcoin in 2017 from like 38 to 
less than 10,000, right? So we're right back where we were before. This is the time to, you know, very carefully accumulate. But at the same time, you know, it can still go down plenty from here on bad macro news. So if you're still, you know, new and cagey about it, that's a completely valid way to feel. The main thing to do then is kind of wait until if you... It'll be pretty easy to see the bottom from like three months out of it in terms of like, did the bottom hit three months ago? Oh, that's okay. So you only miss out on what, five to 10% of the potential gains. That's not a big deal at the at the end of the day when it comes to crypto. So if you feel cagey, wait and see on that because it's way better to be late to um, the bull run than to be get hit by a bear trap, right? So what we have a really we have a really exciting economy moving forward, but like again, it really depends on how long we're going to be in this slowdown period. If we are in a high inf high interest rate environment that just chokes us out for the in duration of 2023, it's hard to say that we're not going to be in like a full blown recession that's going to be kind of very slow to crawl our way out of. In the same breath, you know. Um, if we come back with a CPI next Thursday that is super solid, then we could potentially say, okay, inflation peaked sometime like in Q3 of last year. Let's just, you know, put pedal to the metal and understand that things are going to be just fine in terms of the Fed stopping raising rates. We're going to get the supply chains under control. We're going to find, you know, new sources of new resources, right? Again, there's a lot of things moving forward. So gear up for that as we kind of try to figure out what our outlook for 2023 is. I think 2022 was an awesome year for pharma. And now that a lot of that capital has entered the pharma space, you're going to see a lot of all, even our, even our top picks for pharma fight to hang on to that capital as so much money fled growth stocks and entered into the pharma space. Like Merck is up 40%. Eli Lilly is up uh, t uh, 35%. Um, TPL, like you said, Justin is up 60%. That's got no sign of stopping, but there is some potential friction in the pharma space that we're going to watch closely, which is why we're shifting our focus away from pure play pharma into, you know, medical device companies like the IPO that happened this week, GE Healthcare, which is really exciting in terms of them completely cornering the medical device market. You can check that out over at moby.co slash go, get a free trial there, obviously see what we think about in terms of our philosophy there, but thinking more about industrials, but also industrials that are going to stay growthy, even into a recovery if we see inflation peak last year and the market confidence come back as soon as Q2 this year. Justin, that does carry us pretty close to the end here. Anything we didn't cover today that you want to make sure we jump on to? Again, 2023 is going to be interesting, and you and I are still untangling all of the different threads that are going to be really important moving forward. I think most of our clarity is going to come next week when we have that CPI, and we can kind of really begin to understand if we're in the long downturn or if we're in you know the beginnings of peak inflation, peak interest rates, peak bleak in terms of the uh, like current white collar recession and layoff situation we got going on right here. No, I think that's, I mean, I, I think about what we covered today. It was, you know, electric vehicle outlook, outlook for this year and next, what we think about inflation, what stocks we like. Um, we talked about, you know, very quickly uh, what's going on with the, the IPO market, uh, the economy and non-farm payrolls. Um, if we want to cover it with a few more minutes, we can talk quickly about what's going on uh, with the Speaker of the House. Uh, we can even relate it to the economy if we'd like. Uh, I know you have th some thoughts on that as well, but if not, I think this is, you know, pretty comprehensive so far. It's just by literally by the time this comes out for the rest of our audience on Monday, maybe there might be some res I mean, there's not going to be like as much resolution, but we will be at least four to five votes for speaker behind. We are recording this audience during the 12th vote for speaker, which already is not going super well. The Freedom Caucus is, you know, not budging in terms of, you know voting for Kevin McCarthy, you got to give props to like the center of the Republican Party who is not budging fully um, 
to what their demands are, like the main thing. If you're trying to understand what's happening, like there's a lot of stuff that's going on under the hood. And it's, it's kind of clear that um, the Freedom Caucus has no worry about getting primaried because they are the force that primaries you, the moderate Republicans, as that coalition breaks down a little bit in terms of which side of the Republican Party you're on. Are you on the sort of kind of like wild populist side that just says tear the whole thing down? The main thing this fight will be centered around though is the debt ceiling we are about to hit the next round of debt ceiling fights sometime over the summer um and the freedom caucus is like under the low-key campaigning on hey i just want to totally default on all of us's debt i'm done paying for this stuff i want to renegotiate all of our processes around social security and everything else small government for life that's their kind of goal there. If they go up to that and they just say, we're going to we're gonna allow the U.S. to default on our debt, we're going to blow up the U.S.'s economic position in the world, you've got the only president um, in the past 30 years who's been willing to take a huge L in Joe Biden. He's the guy who withdrew from Afghanistan, right? Um, which, you know, the consensus, like, amongst liberals, conservatives, the media, everyone was like, hey, we want to stay in Afghanistan because it's going to make America look bad worldwide. Joe Biden said, nah, this is not worth... Um, the blood and treasure and like the, the pain we're causing. So we're out. Joe Biden's absolutely going to be the president who does something insane, like print a trillion dollar coin and just air quotes, pay off the um, uh, U.S. debt if that happens. So get ready for just maybe the weirdest year in American politics and also the most annoying and boring one, because it's going to be fights like this where there's like a lot of um, breakdowns in consensus and just understanding where we're going to move forward. So just understand everything's a market, guys. We're really excited to move forward with it, though. But it's going to be, honestly, just a real goofy one. Any Anything else you want to cover from there, Justin? No, I think, uh, like always, in 30 minutes, this is usually very jam-packed. So I think there's a, a lot we covered. And if there's any other questions, whether you're listening to the live version or the recorded version later on, which the majority of our audience is, just head to the site. We have integrated live chat features. You can join the Discord. Uh, happy to answer all and any questions that there are. Absolutely. Either way, Justin, thank you so much for uh, all of your uh, perspective here. And audience, thank you so much for listening. Just so you know, audience, this podcast is produced, hosted, and voiced by me, Peter Starr. All of the intellectual value that comes out of this podcast comes from our analyst team, which is headed up by Justin Kramer, our CEO, co-founder, and chief analyst. If you have any questions for us, you can, again, go to our website. We've got integrated chat right now as well. You can hit us up on our Discord, especially if you're here live. At the same time, you can also just email us at hello at moby.co, or if you're in the actual uh, post on moby.co, there's comments there as well. Plenty of places to engage with us. Please feel free to hit us up over at Instagram and TikTok as well as we're sort of like digesting the news even more granularly over there and trying to figure out exactly what's going on. Again, 2023 is going to be complicated. 2022 was all about sort of like understanding where we were in the downturn. 2023 is how we crawl out of it and all the various routes we have there. So it's going to be honestly wild and nothing's really taken shape so far. But hopefully we can begin to understand where that's going as we see, you know, the CPI that comes out on Thursday once you're listening to this recording and everything there afterwards. Otherwise, audience, we really appreciate your time. And as always, we'd like to leave you with peace, love, and incremental gains. Everyone be well. Thank you so much.